Welcome to HR in the Car with Miriam Duchesne and Tom Shin of Alant Workforce Solutions, where exciting HR professionals and business leaders share laughter, insider stories, and maybe even a few tears about HR in today's world. Buckle up for the best half hour of your week. So Tom, who are we talking to today? We are talking to one of the most energetic people that I've met, I think pre-pandemic, but still relatively recent. Uh, Joelle Monaco has her own consultancy called Joelle Monaco Consulting. Easy to remember. Yeah, but she has so much energy. I can't wait to let our listeners hear all the things she talks about in terms of workforce development. And she had some really interesting takes on you know how this nonprofit starvation cycle can impact things and what businesses are doing today. The trends that she brought out, it was like Johnny on the spot. Absolutely. I met her during the pandemic through one of our networking, virtual networking groups, and I've just always liked her. And her her philosophies are very similar to ours. And um, not that we don't want people with different philosophies to join us, because we do, but I so get everything that she's talking about. So she's she's a real delight. So let's listen in. Welcome, Joelle Monaco, to HR in the Car. We appreciate you joining us today. For those of you that don't know Joelle, she runs Joelle Monaco Consulting, and her three primary focus points are people, process, and performance. So as we introduce you, Joelle, tell us what that means. It's kind of a loaded question, Tom. Thank you first for having me here. Really what I do through consulting is I work with organizations to really look at putting a person-first approach in their business. So if we start with the people, then it impacts the processes, which ultimately impact and influence the organization's performance. So instead of starting with the end goal, we start with the people. Excellent. So when you're at a cocktail party, what do you usually tell people you do? Definitely not that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I usually say I work with businesses to empower them to bring their HR or their human capital and their operations together. So really bringing the people into the business because so often, you know, when we look at organizations and their annual planning or their business line, people or human capital aren't integrated into that. So really, you know, working on those pieces to bring it all together. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to me that you have to put the people first. I mean, come on, right? If you don't have the people, you don't have performance to run your business. So what's the point? Exactly. I always say, go ahead, sorry. That's okay. But it's just, it fascinates me that this is a concept that makes complete sense to me. But there's a lot of organizations where I'm sure you're going in and they have that like light bulb moment or that aha moment. Or none at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is even scarier. Right. They just think, I'm, I know I'm going to build this business. I'm going to have 10 people, so I'll just hire them because that magically happens like a snap. Yeah. Right. And I can find them no problem. Don't forget, there is a people closet. Mm. And they're just going to fit into this role exactly how I've imagined them. You know, it yeah. reminds me of there's that video where you have the woman sitting there watching the blocks go into the the holes and it's Mm -hmm. like the square peg goes into the round hole. The rectangular peg goes into the round hole and she's just going nuts because everything's going into the round hole. And she's like, no. Yeah. And you know, when we look at the workforce, I always say, you know, your organization has a mission, but if you don't have your people, you can't achieve it. And so often when we plan projects or operations, we start with what is the end result or what's the product or widget, never thinking about like, well, what strengths do we have? 
what additional skills or resources could our people bring and then build the product to model that, we kind of work it backwards. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what's the trend that you see, regardless of the type of business, big or small or industry, that is like a common trend or a common thread. So if we're looking at right now, it's definitely the stressor of labor shortage. Mm -hmm. Right. Everyone's Mm -hmm. talking about it. And I feel like this people first approach really has been brought to the surface much more. Many more businesses and organizations are interested. And when organizations are looking at a labor shortage, they're looking at retention. And I always say, okay, well, retention is holding people still. Right. We're just going to hold on to them. And it's more of a reactive approach. So what I'm working with a lot of organizations is to say, flip that. How do we make it person first? We focus on succession. How do we build people up and make them want to be here as opposed to holding on to them? And that model really aligns with that person first approach and really saying, okay, who do we have? How do we build them up? Because we know it's cheaper to build someone up and have a line of succession to senior leadership or whatever their role may be than to lose them and try to fill that position. But you know how the business world goes sometimes where only inclined to be proactive when it's reactive, right? We're always fixing a problem and it's hard to find the budget to be proactive or there's more barriers to say, hey, we want to invest 1500 every year into every member of our team to make sure they feel empowered, educated, and invested in, as opposed to spending a heck of a lot more of that to replace them. I think that's the biggest key is that if you actually would put into writing the, the, the logistics and the, just the revenue loss and the money spent and really what it costs mm-hmm. to keep people and develop them and put them on a path for success as opposed to doing the opposite and recruiting new people all the time. I mean, hello. Not that I'm trying to put you guys out of business <laughs> no, or anything. But but sometimes, it, sometimes it scratches, I scratch my head because one of the first questions I always ask a client is, have you looked at your internal team? Mm-hmm. Who on your internal team could potentially do this job? And nine times out of 10, they say, yeah, there's no one. But they're not a company of two people. So it's fascinating to me because that that happens so often. And the dollars and cents just don't make sense. Well, and then when you look at it, then, you know, from my perspective, I really say, okay, well, how are people valued in that organization? Mm -hmm. Are they getting trained? Are they getting developed? Yeah. And what is their leadership style? Right, because we know there's a difference between managers and leaders. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Absolutely. then you can like you can almost look at, and that's really where you know I geek out is what is the story? Where is the story, and how do we course correct and make sustainable changes? I think that's one of the differences today versus five or ten years ago. Is everything's about a story now, and the folks that are struggling to connect that story versus just giving here's your marching orders. Go complete this. Go finish this. Get this done by whatever deadline. You figure it out. They don't. They don't care about the context. Whereas our audience today is so used to, you know, whether it's from an entertainment perspective or just having a reason of why you're Simon Sinek. What's your why? I was just going to say, what's the why? They Mm -hmm. want to know the why. Absolutely. But you know, I mean, we're seeing more and more of it come out. We're seeing more and more people talk about it, which is great. I was in a discussion earlier and we were talking about what's the drawback. Well, people buy into it, but they're not acting on it. No, and it's a checkbox. Because it's too hard. Right? It's work. Everything is work. But they don't equate, this is the odd part, is they don't equate the loss of somebody as work. No. Yeah. And they don't include that in their finances and their losses, right? Mm-hmm. That's just the cost of doing business. But it's 
I mean, hand over end, more expensive. It's a reactive model because you go into any business and you say, and this is a calculation we do, was bring it back to what you were kind mm-hmm. of talking about. We ask them, okay, calculate what was your turnover cost? And then we say, okay, what happens if you invested 1500 into every team member? You're saving 50% easily in most companies, but to get finance department, executive level, the board to sign off on that, it's painstaking. They haven't written it in as a line item. Correct, because human capital is not in their business plan. Even though it's human capital. Yeah. All right. You need people. Oh my gosh. Say you have a company that comes to you and they say, oh, help. What is a make it or break it for you to even be willing to work with them? What are things that you would be like, I can't help you because of whatever? What do you see out there? Well, I think it's also, you know, really taking an assessment of what does the culture look like? Mm -hmm. What is the buy-in? Who's bought in? Is it just the HR team saying we really need help? Or is it senior leadership, HR team, and the team saying like, we're doing this as a collaborative. We have devised a committee and here are things we found, here are opportunities, and here's what we're willing to invest in this. And that's when I really know, okay, it's not just about saving face and tying it to their mission and vision and value because it's on their website and they Mm -hmm. have to do that. But it's something that, you know, they're willing to put the money where it counts. And I think a lot of times, you know, we have leaderships or all the organizations come to me and say, we want to do a training. And I'm say, well, that's really transactional. While it's a great first step, a training isn't going to get to the root of the cause, the impact, or really, frankly, tell us much. So, you know, when I'm looking for, or looking at organizations making sustainable change, it has to include every level of the organization being committed to it. Yeah, it's kind of the guest speaker for that adjunct professor who just needs to fill one hour of time during the semester versus an entire certificate or diploma or whatever credential program you want to, however you want to phrase it. But that's what I'm imagining. You're just, you're, you're filling seats. Yeah. And for a long time, we've pieced together things because we didn't have the budget or, you know, working with a lot of small, medium and nonprofits, it's pieced together, but We also look at, you know, what is a priority in the budget? How do we make this a priority? You know, I talk about the nonprofit starvation cycle. And I use this with businesses, too, Mm. because we are our own worst enemy. We create budgets to cut cost, and then we pitch them, knowing that it's not sustainable. So then we're always working below the budget. And then that's when leadership doesn't, it's no longer an overhead cost. It becomes part of a program or, you know, a department cost. And then you lose the whole focus on people, leadership. What does that mean? Because we're just starving ourselves on in this continuous cycle, always cutting budget, but increasing numbers, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of businesses, I see this at the end of the year, well, we missed our annual goal, but we only missed it by this much. So we're going to increase it anyways, right? So now you've decreased how much you're going to invest in people and you increase the expectations. Yeah, it doesn't equal out, not at all. Right? And so it's Mm -hmm. like, what is, and then the whole piece I look at and really challenge and ask leaders to say, what is that people experience? How do your people feel when they hear that, when they see that? I think they're afraid to ask that question. Yeah. They want to, and then, you know, in the HR space, yes, we're human resources, but there's always that fear of knowing too much information. It, it's ir- ironic, for mm-hmm. sure. Well, and I, I, I like what you said about, I think it's really important for people to understand that the C-suite, 
the business owner, whoever that might be, has to be 100% behind it and champion it. Yes. Now, the HR team or whoever's involved might be helping rule things out and being that conduit, but it's not all on them. And I, I know a lot of times I think business leaders think, well, HR will just take care of that. Yep. And HR can't just take care of everything. HR can help lead the process. But if you are not acting and showing that is important at that top level, it's not going to be successful. Nope. We model what we see. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we always talk about questions of the week. We always like to have our guests give their take on the questions. Yep. And we talked about a couple of different ones and we yeah. didn't really settle on the one that we were <laughs> going to talk about before we started recording. So you looked at them. What one surprised you the most or what one do you want to talk about the most? And then I can go into it. Oh man, it's a tough draw here. But given our conversation so far, I'm going to sway towards the engagement. Engagement one. I had a feeling that that was where we were going to go. So we recently polled our readership, I guess we'll Mm -hmm. call it, on engagement in an organization. And the question was, how engaged are your company's employees? Our choices were fully engaged, most are engaged, it could be better, or not at all. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we had about 22% that said, yep, our people are fully engaged. We had 33% say, mostly, we think they're mostly engaged. Um, But we had a combination of 63%, 62, 63% that said, "Eh, it could be better or not at all. Yep. So, ouch. Scary. That's... That's Im- those are impressive numbers. Like everybody will have a person or yep. two maybe. But when you're talking about the people who responded to this and it's like 60%, tell us what you think about that. Were you surprised in that number? Nope, not at all. That's actually <laughs> the average. That's actually below average. Because uh, traditionally when we look at engagement studies, about 33% of your workforce is actually engaged. The highest percentage is not engaged. And then around like 16 to 20 is actively disengaged, which means they've got to foot out the door. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm working with organizations, we're really focusing on that 50%, that middle. But a lot of times, you know, with this survey, a lot of times I ask to who's taking it because your perception is your reality. Yeah. When we look at senior leadership and they say, well, how engaged? Oh, everybody loves to come to work. Exactly. Right. Oh, absolutely. 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 Yeah. Yep. Versus the people, like what is their actual experience? How do they feel? And we see this in across all industries. You know, a lot of times we look at it from employee engagement. You know, we tell employees what we're giving them. We tell them how they should feel versus asking about people experience and really saying, what do you need to be successful, to feel empowered and to feel like you're part of this organization? So it's almost two different conversations. And while they don't compete, they're actually compatible. But that's also, you know, when I look at this data, I don't think it's it's pretty typical. I would say for, you know, the grand scheme of things, it's actually higher and more positive than what we traditionally see. Interesting. Interesting. It was funny. I was listening to something the other day on the radio and they were talking about the four-day work week Yes. and how that's been getting such traction. And then this this woman who was representing a company, this is a national conversation I was listening mm-hmm. to, and the, the woman said, well, you know, four-day work week is nice. I said, but she said, if you are mandating that your employees work four days a week and they always have Fridays off or Mondays off or whatever it might be. What happened to the flexibility? Employees still want more flexibility than they want something mandated. And so unless you talk to your employees and figure that out, you're never going to know. 
but we always, we think we know what they want. Right. Nobody wants to ask. Cause you kind of said it before Tom. you were like, well, we don't ask them cause sometimes we're afraid of what they're going to say, right. but you're not always going to please everybody, right? That's mm-hmm. the end all be all, be transparent. You're not going to please everybody. But if we're shooting for the stars, and hoping for the dreams of what we want, that's gonna be really different, especially if your C-suite is making those dreams and hopes versus your hourly employees or maybe your consultants or your temp agencies, right? Because they may have very different needs. And I think that's also a gap that, you know, a lot of times organizations don't recognize is, well, they think their benefits are fantastic and their flexibility is amazing because they have a four day work week. It doesn't meet their whole workforce's needs. Um, It's actually interesting out in California, they're looking, their legislation is looking to reduce the work week hours. To 32. Yep. And so you'd have to pay overtime if it was over 32 yeah. hours. That was part of this conversation I was listening so, to. Yeah. And it's really, you know, it's interesting to see the dynamics because you see a lot of businesses talking about the four day work week. And yes, there's different things that work for different industries, different, you mm-hmm. know, performance types, even different people, right? You right. have all these different personalities and life experiences. But one of the things they found was when people actually had concentrated work time to do what they needed to do, and they actually had adequate time to disconnect, they performed higher. They were able to solve problems better. They were more creative. And, you know, I say, yeah, you can do it four hours, you can do it 35 hours, but how are we empowering to people to really work when they're at work? and disconnect and enjoy life. And I was listening to a podcast that was asking the question of and challenging, you know, whenever we meet somebody, we say, well, what do you do? And it's like, there's a lot more to your why than your occupation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was funny if one of our earlier guests talked about a book called Deep Work that John Baggy was mentioned that. And so I listened to that and it's exactly that point. You have concentrated time to work on really thought-provoking stuff, your knowledge work type of activities, where if you go uninterrupted, you're 10, 20, 30% more productive during that time. You can still have transactional time, what they call shallow work, yep. to do the easy stuff. Quick responses to email and you kind of chunk that out. That's but what it, I do in front of the TV at night, <laughs> the shallow work. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it was really fascinating you know, when John made those couple of book recommendations. I'm like, oh, that, I'm going to add this to my list. Joelle and I have this a couple of years ago. We I'm just going. started swapping books back and forth. We're like, oh, oh you got to really? read this, yeah. you got to read that. Yes. And if you think about it, so the uh, listeners, you know, really step back and look at your time. Your workplace time, what do you spend the majority of your time mm-hmm. doing? And probably it's that transactional stuff. Oh, yeah, it absolutely like, is. And I've tried a lot of things. I'm like, okay, blocking out this time. I'm doing XYZ now. I'm doing XYZ later. I try it. It's, you yeah. know. It's really hard. Yeah. Have, it it's is. that seven habits kind of argument. Yes. You've got to get into a routine. You've got to practice it. You've got to almost turn your phone on airplane mode. Yep. You know, Turn is. off your email. That's the other one. Yes. Right. Email is such a distractor these days because people just think they have to answer every email as soon as it comes in. It's like, it's not instant message or texting. It's an email. Well, so we the, have to start, you know, yeah, the mindset of that. And that's the tough part. Like, you know, doing consulting independently, I'm very transparent. I say, you'll get a response within 48 business hours, right? Because I have to give myself that time. Yeah to be able to fully process maybe what somebody's asking me, because sometimes it is a complex question. And, you know, in our fast-paced environment, we now expect everything to happen instantaneously. instantaneously. Well, and you got to wonder from you as a vendor for different businesses, if a a client's asking you to respond that minute, that moment, how how much of your time do they value, right? Is it that earth shattering that it has to be decided on that very minute or within five minutes? Yeah. The whole thing's going to fall apart. The ship's going to sink. 
Yeah. Yeah. In, our, in my house, we call it world's colliding or the world's ending. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm the queen of England. Yes. I, I play the REM song. Is it the end of the world as you know it? Right. <laughs> so my family has great fun with that. So since we're talking about books and reading material, is there some latest books, latest articles, some latest trend that you've read about? that you wanted to bring up and and share with our listeners? So being that I'm going to take a unique perspective, we're talking about organizational development. I'm just going to plug it out there for people that may be new to understanding what are organizational development topics or areas. Adam Grant, if you haven't listened, tune in. He has a bunch of books, but he also has some really great podcasts. And one that I really enjoyed is Taken for Granted. And I started uh, listening to it, excuse me, not reading it um, recently. And it challenges the things that we take for granted and the good old saying of, well, we've always done it that way. Mm-hmm. Really? And he brings people on the podcast to challenge like, well, why have we always done it that way? How can we rethink it? And how can we restructure, you know, and really challenge ourselves? And for me, even going in and challenging organizations, a lot of times his uh, guests will come in and I'll be like, huh, yeah, why do we do that? I don't know. And it just gives you food for thought. And then it's practical where you can really go back to your organization and say, okay, how do we do it? How can we challenge the status quo to really elevate? And then, of course, I'm always rereading books. I'm actually, one I recommended to you, um, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's a fan favorite. I love it. Just rereading it, you know, there's a lot of conversation around emotional intelligence now. A lot of businesses are looking for different ways. And it's been, you know, an up and coming topic of, you know, it's a leadership model. Really, emotional intelligence is really high up there. So, you know, I'm always crafting up new, new things. uh, So there's something in the hopper. That's awesome. Yeah, I just ordered that book for, uh, I have it at home. I ordered it for somebody that I'm working, doing some coaching for just because it's so insightful. My wife went through it and I can't tell too much about that because I'll get in trouble when I get home. But uh, she left her score sheet out and we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I I, I have a lot of fun with that conversation, but really great book. Travis Badbury did a great job on that one. So I I love that you mentioned podcasting because here we are podcasting, right? So you're the first one to mention that from our guests that we've had so far. I much prefer listening than reading. (laughs) So I listen to a lot of audio books. I always have different things going on and it really depends on my mood. I'm like, do I need some quick inspiration? All right, turn on a podcast. Like, do I want to get deep in something? Let me actually physically read a book or am I just looking for like passive distraction? I'll listen. Before we close, we also like to usually talk about, you know, something outside of our occupation and the things that, you know, define us, so to speak, using air quotes, outside of your work and your occupation. Is there any organizations, any community-based groups, nonprofits that you're involved in that maybe people might not know about and should take a look at? Yeah, so I'm going to do the terrible thing of saying, like, a lot of the organizations I support are workforce-driven because so many people don't look at workforce-driven organizations, right? They donate to nonprofits that we're aware of, right? And there's really great causes, but there's so many people in the workforce or trying to get in the workforce that don't have their needs met or are looking for additional support. And I think it's a huge market that, you know, a lot of organizations and employers aren't looking to. There's so many Mm. unique populations with unique experiences that serve the workforce so well and are looking for jobs and looking for meaningful careers. So 
few, I'll just talk about meeting basic needs. Um, I'll give a plug to the Institute for Nonprofit Leadership and Community Development. I help with and, you know, I've done some courses for the University of Albany, but this is a great way to build up our nonprofits in the local community here. If you're not in the capital region, find a nonprofit university near you because I think, you know, we always assume nonprofits, oh, they've got it all together. They employ the largest percentage of our workforce, but they have little to no funding, right? For human capital development, things like that. The other ones I really like are like transportation, Okay. Organizations. I'm a big fan of here locally, Tech Valley. Heck yeah. Um, yeah. Heck right? yeah. Trent. With Trent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Always, we got to talk to Trent. We got to get Trent yeah. on here. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, but, you know, they do transportation for workforces. And, you know, yes, the C-suite doesn't see that as an obstacle, but for a lot of people. It's a huge obstacle. Yes. I have, and Tom can feel this too, because we grew up, air yeah. quotes again, we grew up in the temp staffing business. And part of our business was across the board, office, you know, industrial, factory, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of individuals, you know, the first thing you would have to say is, is it on the bus line or not? And even if it was on the bus line, it still wasn't a convenient on the bus line type of situation. And and I I talked to Trent specifically and I said, God, you know, when we were in the real true temp staffing business back 20 years ago, I wish you were around Mm -hmm. because we would have completely used your services. And I'm constantly reminding my team about, you know, if you hear someone who has transportation issues, don't rule them out. Come talk to me because we can try to figure it out with Trent. So, hey, Trent, you're getting a great plug right now. (laughs) Well, and that's the story of trying to do more and be more authentic, be more human, understanding of what people's uh, plight is or plights are. Is it plural or singular? But Mm. anyway, it's, it's one of those things that you take for granted when you're talking to candidates about just the ability to get to someplace, going from downtown Albany to get over to Schenectady. Oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah. I remember I had one temporary employee going from East Greenbush, taking the bus through downtown Albany, all the way out to Schenectady, all the way up to Saratoga. What? And then then would get a cab when he got there to get to where he was going. That's like an hour and a half? Uh Uh-huh. Commute. Plus the taxi. The cost, too. And the cost on that as well, absolutely. Every day. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing. Like, we have, I was in retail for a very long time, and I had a lot of those obstacles, and sometimes I would run, like, a retail bus. I would go and pick up Mm -hmm. my team because they would take an hour-long bus, or they would spend $50 on a cab. Yeah. And I'm like, you're spending half of your paycheck to get here. Like, that's defeating the purpose. Exactly. It's funny. We're totally getting off topic. But when it comes to transportation, my husband works in retail Mm -hmm. and he works with some younger people and he will oftentimes come home later and he'll be like, oh, I dropped this person off or Mm because he goes and they don't even understand the math sometimes. He goes, I literally sat down with one person. He knows a woman he works with. She takes Uber every day, every single day. Day. And it's got to be 20 bucks a drop. Twice a and day. so he was showing um, some of the younger people that work on his team that were, you know, they're in college. And yeah. he was like, you realize, you know, you spent this on, that's like two hours of your pay that you just spent on this. And it's, you know, stuff related to, he's doing like little financial literacy yes. courses at the store <laughs> because he's like, your Starbucks that you spend this much of money on every single day, that's how much of your paycheck is going to that. This Uber, when you do this, this is how much of your paycheck is going to it. But the Uber thing is a little bit more yeah. of a necessity sometimes. Right. You got to work um, to eat and exactly. manage, managing your home return on investment, your home, your home profit yeah. margin, if well, you will. And this is 
something I talk to a lot with businesses is saying, what are your, I use Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What are your team's basic needs? Are they being met? Do they have access to food, sleep, transportation? Right? Because food's also a big barrier. A lot of times we have a lot in the capital region across the US, we have food deserts. So how as an employer, can you alleviate some of those barriers? And how can you show that you truly care about them, not only as an employee, but as a person? Yeah. At the end of the day, these are people. They're not robots. They're not widgets. They have feelings. They have families. Like, how do we make our community better at the end of the day? Absolutely. Well, I think that is a perfect way to end our segment with you. What a great wrap up. We didn't even have to do it. She did it for us, Tom. That's fantastic. Thanks for joining us, Joelle. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. So um, to wrap up, thank you so much again for being with us. We will have all of your contact information on our website, along with this podcast, along with links to Tech Valley Shuttle and the, what was it called again? I want to get it right. Nonprofit University, I'll call it. It will be, I said its whole name. It's actually the Institute for Nonprofit Leadership and Community Development. Yeah, send us the link for that one too so we can get that up there. I'm not going to try to copy what you just said because <laughs> my retention is, is not there today. So again, thank you so much for joining us and um, we wish you all the success. Wonderful, thank you. Thanks. Wow, that was fantastic. Can you imagine that we were going to get that many business plugs in this conversation with Joelle? <laughs> I think we need to start charging people because we just like laid out a bunch of free advertising for a couple of businesses, but right. that's okay. I, I, that's why we're here. This is why we're doing this. This is to talk about our experiences. This is to bring in our community and get the word out about great community partners. But also, again, it's it's... For me, why we do this podcast is to bring our community closer together so that we can partner more and work together. So I loved how she talked about the nonprofit organizations that she was supporting that were supporting workforce development, things like Tech Valley Shuttle with the transportation for people who need to get to work and don't have other methods to do that. So I I loved that. And again, I, we could have talked to her for three hours, in my opinion. She had oh, so absolutely. much to talk about. I think we had two or three more questions that we just didn't have time to get to. Couldn't have gotten to them. So for those of you that were taking notes, we apologize. All of the details for the links and the organizations that Joelle mentioned are going to be in the show notes. So come back to alant.com and subscribe for more episodes of HR in the Car. HR in the Car.